Here we go. Episode number nine of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast is brought to you yet again. You know this one. Guess it for me. Yeah, Echo One Photography. That's right, Greater Toronto Area listeners. If you're a comedian, you're a musician, or actor, or business person, whatever, you need to get some headshots done, well, contact Echo One Photography and they'll get you some damn good shots. And also update those dating and social media website profile pictures. Don't take a selfie. Get it done by a professional. Get it done by a profesh. Increase those odds. Also, if you own a business and want to shoot some products for e-commerce or advertising purposes, Echo One will do that too. Email Eugene, E-U-G-E-N-E at echo1photography.com and enter JDCH in the subject line. Do it today. Message to my mom. Message to my mom. Hi, mom. Here we are, episode number nine. And you haven't yet listened, which I'm hoping means you won't listen. And if by any chance you've stumbled upon this episode, you decided you're going to give it a shot and start with the latest one. Please let me start by saying I love you very, very, very much. You're the best mom ever. But please turn off the podcast. You won't like what you hear. This this is not, especially this episode, there's some words that are used that I don't think any mother should ever hear their son utter. So please, I beg of you, respect my wishes to keep this away from you. In the most loving way. I love you. Message to my mom. Message to my Episode number nine of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast. Yeah, episode nine? Is that real? Shit, yeah, we're moving right along. This is serious. Serious business. Here we are, episode nine coming at you from Lemon Press Studios, downtown Toronto in the Distillery District. Hey, how you doing today? It's good to be here with you. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. I, and I really mean that when I say, because I do this for you. I do this with you and for you and without you, there is none of this. Who'd be, who would be listening to this? Nobody. It's you. So those are not empty words when I say thank you. I appreciate, appreciate the support and the emails and the everything, the comments, the feedback. Nice folks out there. If you haven't yet subscribed, please do so on iTunes. It really helps. 
subscribe, and if you could go one step further and comment and rate the podcast, it would really, really help boost the ratings. It's important when a podcast is in its early stages to do. see these websites work on algorithms, and it's all based on subscriptions and comments. So if you do that for me, I will, I guess, just keep doing this for you. That's in a good exchange. You don't have to pay for it, so just comment on it. I appreciate you as a person and as a life entity. I'm once again coming to you exhausted. That seems to be my default state when recording these things. I'm drained. I had a bit of a... I had a bit of a sliding doors moment. I don't know if you know that movie with Gwyneth Paltrow that came out in the late 90s. It's, it's a great flick. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Sliding doors. It ba- basically shows us two different experiences, two parallel experiences by one person. She's where she she's running to catch a train. It's based out of London. She's running to catch a train, and in one parallel experience, she a little girl steps in her way, and she kind of on her way down to the subway and she misses the train by just a hair. The sliding doors close on her. She misses the train, catches the next one, and goes on with her life as she knows it. And in the other parallel experience or universe, she sort of avoids the little girl in the stairs and makes the train just by the skin of her teeth. She makes it past those sliding doors and gets right in there. And she gets home early only to find her husband or boyfriend or husband, whatever, cheating on her. And dramatically changes her life. All, all based on that moment. And the whole movie takes you through those parallel journeys of one is how her life, she stays with her husband and how they have a life together. And the other one, her whole world is turned upside down. Well, I had a minute version of that in the middle of the night. You have the worst sleeping patterns I have had in the in the past few months for some reason. I don't know why. I've been... This is why I quit caffeine, actually, to try to regulate my sleeping patterns. So I'll have, I'll have a great night's sleep one night, and then the next night, I'll fall asleep, and four or five hours later, I'm wide awake with shattering anxiety I don't even I'm not an anxious person by any stretch but in the middle of the night for some reason it comes I'm anxious I can't explain it there's nothing no specific reason I just I wake up in a fit of panic feeling like the whole world is crumbling around me and then I'll be up for an hour or two and then I'll fall asleep again wake up exhausted and uh I actually read an article about that where two things. First, I heard from my mom that my grandmother did this. She slept four hours one night and eight hours the next. Four hours one night and then she'd be so exhausted. So it sort of maybe runs in the family. And I also read an article that said that states that we used to, as humans, as we are, sleep in two segments. It would start one or two hours after dusk. You'd go into your room. You'd sleep four or five hours, wake up for one or two hours, and a lot of people would read. The article I read said they smoked tobacco. Some even visited neighbors. But most people stayed in their room and would fall asleep again for another four or five hours and wake up the next day. And that that basically was the thing. That's how humans slept, I guess, since the beginning of time. 
And that sort of went away in the late 16th century. And where where rich Europe in rich Europe, I guess it started where people started sleeping eight straight hours. So I guess sometimes they refer to it like when when you wake up and panic for no reason. It's maybe some form of regression back to that. Anyway, regression, I digression. So I had a bit of a sliding doors moment because. I woke up in the middle of the night and I knew you can kind of feel when you're waking up and that's if you're up, you know it right away or if you're going to be able to fall asleep again. You, you just know it. If you're super tired, you're just you you go right back down. So I woke up, used the bathroom. It's pitch dark in my apartment and I can feel that I'm just going to go straight back to bed cuz I am tired. I went to bed at 10:30, wake up it's 2:30 a.m. so 4 hours later and I'm tired. I walk through the apartment and I knock over a glass of water that was on my desk in the in the living room. As I pass by it, I knock it over. It goes behind the desk. I can hear water dripping on everything, the power bar and all. So I'm like, fuck, I, I have to turn on the light. Now I'm awake. Now I'm like, this is it. I'm up. Wipe everything down. Turn the light off again. Get rid of the dish towel. On my way back to the bath or to my bedroom. I knocked the same glass in the opposite direction. I left it there. Like, not all the water spilled out. There was still a little bit in. So, as I walk back, I walk, knock it in the opposite direction. So, this time, it flies everywhere on my printer and paper and everything. So, I'm like, fuck. Turn on the light again. Now, I'm like, definitely awake. So, from 2.30 to 5.30, I was up. And I had a big day planned. I was going to get up super early because, like I said, I went to bed at 10.30. I was going to get up super early, go to the gym. I had these appointments. I was going to go to I had acting class, which is a whole other thing I'll get into another time. I was going to come to the studio and I was do some interviews. I had a packed day lined up. And so my days, my parallel days from what would have been if I hadn't knocked over that glass of water and, you know, I would have gone to bed, I would have been up early, I would have gotten shit done. Instead, in that split second, in that split sliding door moment, I knocked over that glass of water and my whole productivity and my whole plans for the day were drowned out. Drowned by that half full glass of water on my desk. I woke up late, didn't make the gym. It's crabby all day. And you just start dropping things off the to-do list, moving those over to the next day. So this is why I sit here in studio, exhausted. There's just too much, too much life. There's just too much happening, you know? We're all busy. We're all so busy, especially in a city like Toronto. Everyone's just trying to make a buck and everyone's trying to build an empire. Everybody just doing their thing. It's too much. Too much. And so you have a day where you have to drop things from your from your to-do list. You feel guilty and it starts piling on. I just want to retire. Is that too much to ask? How can we not just retire? Specialize in retirement. I'd love that. I'd gladly major in that. I'd gladly t- go to, f- you know, four years of retirement school. Let's start that as a society, as an option for career, retirement. 
It's a four-year degree. You major in retirement. You minor in lawn care. And you go down to... it's The course is, of course, given in Florida where you learn how to coordinate your pastel colors, your socks and your pocket squares, all pastels. And you learn how to groom your mustache. You need a mustache for this course, for this program. And you do four years of nothing, of golfing and bingo and gossiping and turning the heat up. You, you acclimate to hot rooms with wearing sweaters, argyle, learn obscure sports like lawn bowling, you learn cribbage, and then you graduate with a subscription to Reader's Digest and a three-year supply of Werther's Originals. Retirement school. I'm down for that. I'll do it. Let's do it. I'll sign up right now. And then you just go through the life doing nothing. I'm down. That sounds so good. Retirement or at least semi-retirement. There's a semi-retirement school. That's uh, a year and a half in Boca Raton where you learn how to mainly do nothing while juggling eight hours a week of work. I could do that. I could retire or semi-retire right now. Let's do it. Let's do that. Retirement school. Baby Jeffrey loves to laugh lots. Baby Jeffrey, don't call the cops. We're sorry. O'Reilly's, hello. Hi there, how are you today? Good. Good, my name is Jeffrey. What's, what's your name? Hello. Hi. How are you? Hi. Hi. I'm good. My name is Jeff. My name is Jeffrey. Hi, Jeffrey. Hi. Hi. I heard that you guys have pretty good bangers and mash. Is that true? Bangers and mash? Yeah. What's that? Well, yeah. Oh. It's exactly what it is. And I, I just heard you guys, uh, you have put the pretty good stuff. Excellent. How old are you, my love? I'm five. You're five? Yep. Oh, wow. My daddy's going to bring me out there. That's excellent, my love. Dude, can I, can I go there? Can you come here? Yes, if you come with your dad, certainly. Oh, that's great. I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering what you have on your menu. What do we have? What do you like? Well, I like bangers and mash, but... Do you, have, do you have abalone and chips? Hello, Chessie Sin. Hi, my name is Jeffrey. How are you today? Good, how are you doing? I'm good. What is your name? Wes. Hi, Wes. You guys serve pretty good fish and chips here, eh? Oh, yeah. Okay. Do you have abalone and chips? <laughs> no. You don't have abalone there? No. I love that. I just want to, I always wanted to try it out. Oh. Hi there. Hello, Ken's Nest. Hi. Is this Cannon's Nest? Hi. How are you yes. today? What's your name again? Gloria. 
Hi, Gloria. It's Jeffrey. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine. Listen, I'm a child actor out of Toronto, and uh, I wanted to come and fly out there and have some fish and chips, and I wanted also, can you can you make peanut butter and jelly? Yes. Yes, uh, yes, I can do that. Oh, that's great. Another thing, too, is that I've always wanted to have abalone. Do you, do you serve abalone and chips out there? Serve abalone? Yeah, abalone. Yeah. You have that? Yes. Abalone and chips? Oh, that's great. That's what I've always wanted to try it out. Wow, who's this? Hi there, how are you today? I'm Jeffrey. But okay. I'm, do you have non-alcoholic beer for kids? Um, yes we do. Okay. So my daddy always lets me have a non-alcoholic beer, so... I just always wanted to, I've never had it in a restaurant. So. And there you have a little baby Jeffrey action coming at you. That is leftover material we had from our first ever recording session. So we were just scratching the surface there with baby Jeffrey, just getting things going, and I just pulled some, some of the clips. I'm still looking for more with that segment. I'm looking to get a little edgier, a little darker, a little more... A little more twists and turns in our phone calls. For some reason, my buddy Jeffrey was obsessed with abalone and fish, which I'm not sure entirely what, what that is. But uh, anyway, there's a lot more to come with baby Jeffrey. And uh, let's go now to my guest today. Uh, Darren Frost joined me in studio, who's an accomplished comedian and actor, and we had a great entertaining chat You'll get to know him a little bit better and uh, enjoy that. Also, we referred to a few clips throughout the interview that I have now posted on Facebook. If you go to facebook.com slash jdcomedyhour, you do yourself a favor and check out the clips that we talk about. They're great. Uh, anyway, let's get to it right now. Enjoy the show. You and me belong, just like the flowers, laughing all day long. People I need to lose, sing a little song, then take a shower. Julian Dion, Comedy I know I'm weird looking, get it out now. Get it out now. I don't want to be five minutes in, does he know he's weird looking? I know, trust me. I see this face every day. I have three boys, that's right, three boys. I think we picked the best name for boy number three. We called him Soul Destroyer. <laughs> the third. <laughs> My oldest nine is getting bullied at school, right? You gotta stop that thing quick. I'm like, hey, why is it making fun of you, buddy? He goes, because of my favorite color. What's your favorite color? He said, pink. Go. what am I gonna do? What's your second favorite color? He said, rainbows. <laughs> Stick with pink, buddy. <laughs> Stick with pink. I never thought about owning a wood chipper till baby number three came along. Oh. How can you say that? Those are little bundles of joy and love. Yeah, that's a non-parent answer. Every parent has thought about owning a wood chipper from time to time. I'm the only one that'll admit it. And I know the exact 
moment when, month 19, the baby doesn't want to sleep in the crib anymore. No. He wants to sleep with mommy and daddy now. And he doesn't sleep vertically with you. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he sleeps horizontally across the bed. So you're forced to sleep in a giant H for the whole night. <laughs> and if that's not uncomfortable enough, throughout the night he will roll up the bed all the way up until his feet are on your throat. <laughs> and then he will kick you in the throat awake. Has any non-parent ever been kicked in the throat awake? No, because you don't sleep in alleyways. <laughs> Let me tell you what happens. When you are kicked in the throat awake, your first instinct is to wake up and punch whatever just kicked you in the throat awake. <laughs> and my son wasn't awake when he did it. How do I know that? Because I opened my eyes, his eyes were open, he gnawed at me, and then he kicked me in the throat. <laughs>
you've seen a lot of uh, a lot of reincarnations, if if I may, in that time. Actually, specifically in your bio, it says Hot Hack Comedy used to pay my rent. So when you yeah. started, you were... Okay, so for those who don't know Darren, he's very controversial, pushes the envelope. He tells it like it is, speaks his mind. He's uh, a little more on the dark side of things and uh, a great comic, uh, prolific, as you know, by his DVDs, as I mentioned. But uh, it, it wasn't always the case. You started very happy. Yeah, I mean, I think when you're when you're 21 and you're doing stand-up comedy and you're eating hot dogs every day, the world's great, and you're sleeping on couches, and you don't look at the world through the you know the eyes of uh, either a 28 or 29 year old. So in the right. beginning, I was happy. Uh, my career was going fine. I shit can my we can swear right. Of course, okay. of course. I shit can my day job, which I hated with the intensity of a thousand suns. And um, it was a very kind of usual suspects kind of job. Um, not usual, sorry, wrong. Uh, Glengarry Glen Ross, you know, bored, someone gets fired, that kind of lifestyle. So I Got hated it. it. So I, I shit can that. And then I had, you know, a comedy career, which was going well. And I had some success very early on. Um, I don't like to pat myself on the back, but I used to kill all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, not with material I was proud with, but it didn't really matter back then. You just wanted to kill. That was the whole point of stand-up in the beginning was to mark your territory, kill at all costs, you know, kind of be funny, and prove to everyone else that you deserved your spot because that's how stand-up was a lot back then. Right. Um, this is in the early, uh, late 80s, early 90s. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I did a lot of happy kind of material and material that the crowds uh, kind of accepted and... I always talk about that part of my career as I always presented material I knew the crowd was on board for. They'd already experienced, so it was more a lot of nostalgia. Hey, remember this when you were a kid? Bop, 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 bop. Right. You know, and they loved it. They cheered before you even got to the punchline. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of comics suffer from that now, and I'm, I'm not a fan of it. It's not super critical, but I kind of put a line in the sand and said enough of that and, and uh, changed to more of where I was at the time. And also, I used to have funny pants and funny clothes, and I didn't want to be that guy, you know, uh, 28, trying to fit into those pants. I used to fit into 21, you know. Define funny pants and funny clothes. Oh, like, you know, Emo Phillips style. Right. I, was I was influenced by Emo in the very beginning, there's no doubt. Right. My influences in stand-up comedy were Emo Phillips, Sam Kinison, and Woody Allen. So mm -hmm. you, take, you know, put those in a blender, shake it up, and that's what you get. So in the very beginning of my career... Um, it was very emo-ish in terms of style, and uh, you know, I, had, I had a laugh, and I had a catchphrase, and people used to yell it back at me, and it was, you know. <laughs> what was the catchphrase? Uh, good for me. It was really annoying. <laughs> it's still annoying. People still come up to me, and they say it to me, and I'm like, oh, you haven't seen me in a long time. Uh, When's the next time you're playing stand-up? Oh, I quit. Really? Uh, <laughs> yeah, because I don't think you really want to see me now. Right. I, I pretty much kill the good for me guy every single night on stage. And the good for me guy, was he very safe? Like, yeah, oh, yeah, sort of yeah, PG yeah. yeah. Oh, and, yeah, like, oh, for yeah. For the kids and the grandparents. Oh, yeah. yeah. If you saw it, you'd be like, wow. There's a funny story. A, a comic named Paul Meyerhog uh, didn't believe me that this existed. They thought everybody was just kind of making it up and bullshitting. And then um, what happened was uh, we were on the street once, and I was just telling him the story about how my character was. He was like, oh, you're full of shit, Frosty. And then a girl actually came up and started doing my act. <laughs> and I thought Paul put him up, put her up to it, right? Because right. it was just too much coincidental. And he's like laughing, and I'm like, come on. And she's like, no. And then she started quoting my jokes. And I'm like, oh, my God, you do remember me from back then. And I remember those lame jokes from like 15 years ago. And Paul just couldn't believe it. And also on my YouTube page, I put two clips of that era on. I was going to ask if yeah. that's still up oh, there. Yeah. If oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I make out. sure people can see it because I'm that much of a narcissist. I want you to know where I came from. And <laughs> I, you know, I, every six months when I think I'm too good, I watch that clip and just, you know, turn into a ball in the corner and cry myself to sleep. It's horrendously bad. Right. But, but it killed. It killed. Hard to watch. 
But you, you have to do that. I mean, if you would have would have started the way you are now 20 years ago, I mean, that wouldn't have flied. You wouldn't have, have worked. You have to, you know, build your stage legs and you have to get the confidence to just be yourself eventually. I mean, the whole rub with stand-up is to be your true self on right. stage. But that's so, it's a simple thought, but it's a very complex one to achieve. It's like way harder than it sounds to, right. to get that done. So, I mean, any great comics that have... Uh, you know, seeing it is sort of transform like a Bill Hicks or a George Carlin. They weren't like that when they first course, started. You know, course, you have right. to sort of you have to find your sea legs, and you know, it's a very much a young man's game, stand-up comedy, mm-hmm. uh, the least the way it's portrayed by the industry. But when you actually look at it and break it down, it's not a young man's game or woman's game. Most comics don't come into their own until like fifteen years in, That's right. and unless you start when you're eight, you're not going to be young. Mm-hmm. And uh, these young comics now that are becoming whether well, stars or whatever, even in our own country, I go, that's great because some of them are doing some really funny stuff like Bobby Mayer or Alex Pavoni, those kinds of guys, or Graham Kay, et cetera, John Hastings. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, let's see where you are in 10 or 15 years when life has kicked you around a bit. You might not be right. so happy. I mean, Bobby's pretty dark to begin with, but all I'm saying is I'd love to see what they're going to be like once they found that 15-year mark because right, right. it's going to be significantly different. Right. It just can't be. If it if it's not different, then I don't know if you're really pushing yourself, but mm-hmm. not every comic should have to push themselves. Mm-hmm. I've never been that elitist comic that thinks prop acts are hacks or, or you know parody guys are hacks. I love Weird Al Yankovic. I think he's one of the funniest yeah. guys in the world, um, and I can't do what he does, but I do think think in terms of stand-up comedy and and the progression of it eventually you shut things down right and you change that's right yeah it's a, it's like you said it's a it's a marathon there's no sprint and there's no way around it like it, when you hear that as a beginning comic like it takes 15 years to find your true footing you think uh, everyone thinks it's going to be different of from course me. of course it's gonna be different and uh i'll do it faster but uh, it doesn't and also when you hear that it sounds daunting and like kind of depressing but the journey to that 15 years is still a lot of fun there's this uh, story um of the there was a booker in new york he booked he used to book Gotham. Now he books uh, governors on Long Island. Okay. And this woman asked him one day, um, she was looking for a great comic in their 20s for an event. And he replied, he told her, if you find a great comic in your 20s, they're lying about their age. Of course. Because it's just, you know, there's good, there's really good, but there's a sure. difference between good and great. Of course. Most people can't see that difference, though. Like, and the word "great" is overused, and the word "genius" is overused in our business. And totally. there's not that many. You know, I think there's maybe what three or four genius comics that ever came out of Canada. That's mm-hmm. what I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone's different on that, but that's what I think. Right. I also don't think any comic should do more than 45 minutes. I think right. there's a very select few comedians, even in the world, that should do an hour. Mm-hmm. An hour is a long time, but you talk to anyone, they're like, "I got two and a half hours." You know, I went through my phase of doing an hour and 15 minutes and and hogging up the stage and thinking I was a rock star, and it was all bullshit. It really was. It it's, you know, after 40 minutes, you better have something really intelligent or really original or really a style that fits it. Maybe a storytelling style, whatever, like the, the Mike Birbiglia or whatever, but very few. Right. Who would you say, you said there are two, three comics maybe that were geniuses that came out of Canada. Who would you classify as a genius? Even that I'm I'm not super comfortable with, but I will say my list of comics that I think should do more than an hour. Mm-hmm. That's a better way of looking at it. Sure. I think you've got Derek Edwards, Mike Wilmot, Erwin Barker, Brent Butt. Uh, you have Craig Campbell. That's a good list right there. <sighs> you know? That's pretty good, though. There's a couple that are, you know, bubbling under that. Right. And, and some people may even put me in that list that I can do an hour. Mm-hmm. I can't do an hour. Mm-hmm. I'll do it for the contract, but you know, not a lot of time of where I'm going. I love this whole hour. 
Right. Takes a long time to get an hour together. Oh, a real, fuck. I mean, obviously Ron James for his crowd. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've always said I love Ron's jokes, but I'm not a fan of the um, the packaging, the character around it. Right. Um, that's fair. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure he doesn't like the angry troll I am. How I scream all the time. You were on his show. What what did what, what capacity? It was a sketch, and mm-hmm. they asked me to do it, and I had Ron on my show, and we really hit it off, and so I did a sketch on a show. So it was good. Cool. Okay, so let's let's go back to the nineties. And sure. how how do you make that transformation transformation from from hack, as you put it, right. to who you are today? Was that a do you do you sort of just bite the bullet one day go I'm gonna bomb for a few um sets or um, somewhat i mean in the 90s there was a lot of western tours like mm-hmm. everyone always talked about we are going to go on a western tour so you'd work for six or five weeks and you'd be on the road for that many days like 30 or more days and you know i've said it many times before it's great to um it's great to kill mm-hmm. uh and it's terrible to bomb no one likes to bomb but i'll tell you what sucks even worse than bombing Bombing with material you don't even believe in. So right. now you're sucking and you can't even justify it to yourself. Right. Like placating an audience, giving them what you think they want and you still bomb, you might as well bomb with what you want to do. That's right. At least right? at least, at, least at the end of the day, you don't have a gun in your mouth. You're not crying at Oprah episodes at four o'clock in the afternoon for no reason. Right. You know, you're not comparing your life to, you know, Ethiopian girls getting mutilated, you know, somehow <laughs> figuring out well, I'm just like them. You know, you're bombing with what you want to do. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to at least present what I want. If you like it, you do. If you don't, leave. And so, yeah, there was almost a sense of a certain moment in time. There wasn't some kind of cathartic moment where it's like, oh, I'm only going to do this. But it was a slow procedure, and I bombed a lot. Mm -hmm. And a lot of comics don't like to bomb. I get it. But you know what? To push through, you have to bomb. To get to to the next level, you have to bomb. Comedy is like a staircase. In the beginning, the steps are very short, Mm -hmm. and they're big. And then what happens is the steps become very wide and very small, and you have to do all that extra work just to get up that little step. And that's what you have to do. And if you want to just make people laugh and have a good time, I get it. You don't take that next step. But if you want to stay in this with a you know a head on your shoulders, I think you have to work hard mm-hmm. and raise your own bar. A lot of comics settle for less. All the comics I looked up to, another comic I should have put on that list was Kenny Robinson who should do an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's very few comics that I kind of look up to anymore for certain things. And Kenny's definitely one of them. And it's like you have to work hard. Mm-hmm. Here's a guy that's over 30 years in still writing new material, a half an hour to an hour every single year. Yeah. And that's what I look up to. The comics I looked up to in the very beginning uh, wrote a lot of material. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's, that's what that's what I kind of gravitated towards. Wow, look at all this material. Right. They're not repeating themselves. I used to watch a lot of stand-up on television, and I noticed that, oh, that guy did that joke on this show and, and whatever, and it's a, a repeat. I know that joke or whatever, like whether it was Dangerfield or whatever. Mm-hmm. I recognized Right. Who repeated, and that never interests me. It was always like, who's doing all this material? Mm-hmm. Whether it was funny or not, I mean, that's that's debatable, and that's a based on opinion. But at least they're throwing something different. Right. Yeah, and it's so true that if if you bomb and you're doing something something that you is true to yourself, at least there's some sort of artistic fulfillment there. And uh, okay, so then you start doing that, and do you? Uh, how long does it take till you realize, oh, this is finally fucking working. This is, I can be myself on stage. Like, it took about two years. Two years. It did. Um, I Shit. still, you know, I slowly moved some of the crappy material out and replaced it with other material. So that whole period took about a year and a half to two years where I was comfortable with every single joke I was doing on stage. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that was a long time to not uh, always do the best shows, but I knew that like you said, it's a marathon, and the end game was going to be better for me. That might be debatable uh, for my <laughs> bottom line. Uh, but, you know, I'm glad I did do it. 
And I'm glad that material is out there because, like I said, a lot of the young comics just think I'm this evil troll that screams all this controversial material and they go, I can never be like that or I can never change. I'm like, well, you look at this and then you look at that. And I've had countless young comedians email me or message me on Facebook going, wow, I can't believe this exists. Like we're talking, you know, they're floored by it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I was a hack. I'll I'll put up a uh, a video of that oh, on, on the Facebook page. If it's soul destroying, <laughs> it's so soul destroying. I love that you put it out there though. It's good. It's yeah, good. I mean, you can't run from it. The internet, yeah. right? It's like people say, why don't you go back? Because I used to be in business, right? I have a degree in business. I used mm-hmm. to do suit and tie monkey job. And they're like, why did you go back to that? You ever heard of Google? You know, you Google my name, devil, devil, devil. Right. He called this woman this. He did this. The guys did this. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I can't because they're going to Google that and they're never even going to bring me in for an interview. Mm-hmm. You can't run from the internet anymore. And also there's the Wayback Machine. People go, just shut your, your website down. Well, there's the Wayback Machine on the internet, meaning it takes a carbon footprint of every single, single thing you've done or your name is on. You can't run from it. I can't hide Darren Frost. Only way I could have done it is if I started with a unique name at the very beginning, a stage name, and then killed that off. Then I could do it. Right. But I didn't. But you didn't. You stayed You stayed uh, with, you kept Darren Frost. Right. And that has, speaking of which, that has actually come back to bite you in the ass at one point. If I th- I think there's a story out there of, of you were on a corporate tour with James Cunningham and someone uh, looked you up or something and you were fired from that tour. Is that a thing? Okay, no. What happened there is I used to do this thing. I don't want to say the name of it because I don't want to bring any kind of attention to the actual thing. I used to do financial lectures. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, James used to do them. And whenever James couldn't do them, I would do them. They were in high schools. And I did not use my real name for that exact reason. I was the one who said that. I always used Darren Lyons because that was my mother's maiden name. Right. And there is no Darren Lyons on the internet ever. Mm-hmm. So if a kid saw my presentation, they thought I was funny because it was a little bit of stand-up with this financial lecture, they wouldn't find my clips. But what happened is there was a nasty showcase for Just for Laughs. We'll move on. And uh, whenever I have to say that word, there has to be a pause. Uh, There was a showcase for the nasty show, and the Toronto Star did an article about it, and I was pretty much the whole article, but they published a photo from my website without asking me first of me giving the middle finger. So in the Saturday Star, there's a giant picture of me giving the middle finger, which I didn't think they were allowed to do, Mm -hmm. um, but they did. And the people who backed this tour of financial lectures saw this and went, oh my God, this is not who we should have, right. and this is Darren Lyons, and this is wrong, and we don't agree with it. And, you know, James had to well, let me go, fire me, whatever. I mean, we're still best friends. I mean, right. there's nothing he could do. It was either, you know, back Darren and lose everything or just go, Darren, you know, you chose this path. You have to pay the price. So mm-hmm. I got on my cross and wore my hair shirt, and here I am. And how... Ha- and how does a conversation like that go down? You get a phone call? Yeah, get a yeah. phone call. <laughs> get a phone call Sunday after Saturday. I didn't even know it was out there. It was like right. early, you know, James calls me and says, Darren, have you seen the star? I'm like, no, no, no. And so I go online and I see this picture. I'm like, well, they didn't print that picture. That's just online. Right. And I call him back. He's like, no, the, the picture's there. And so they jumped on it fast. They found yeah. it fast. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, what goes through your mind? Because I'm going to guess something like that is pretty lucrative, a tour like that. Made, uh, I made more money doing that in five weeks than I did in a year or two years. And, and how many more shows had you planned? Or oh, tons. 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 Shit, so you just wrote... Tons. I would have paid my mortgage off. I would have been financially sound. Fuck. So how do you... How do you wh- what are you going to do? How do you, you take know? that? You just take the hit and move on. You have on. to say, am I doing what I want to do mm-hmm. or am I doing what they want to do? I was doing what I want to do, so I have to take the hit. It's like bombing. It's no different than bombing. And it wasn't the first time that I'd been fired from something due to my act. I used to do a lot of commercials. I did like 50 commercials in four years. Mm-hmm. If you lived in this province, you'd be like, oh my God, I used to get recognized all the time. But Google started and people started Googling my name and 
people justify their jobs and we can't have this guy, the devil, represent Listerine as the Listerine bottle because there'll be a letter that says, Dear Pfizer, your mascot one night at a comedy club called me a cunt. Mm-hmm. You know, that is a possibility in their heads. So they're <laughs> right, like, right. you lost a job. Right. And so, that was a big success for you getting that Listerine. Uh, I, I did 50 commercials, not as Listerine, but I mean, right. I had just as big a campaigns as the Listerine, but that was big. One of them. Yeah. Right. I was the second Listerine bottle. There was three of us and I called myself the Val Kilmer of the series, broody and hard to work with. <laughs> That's what I say. And that, you know, at least I got a joke out of it. So it was worth it. That's right. what I always say. If I can get a joke out of something, it was worth uh, either bombing or getting fired. So I've been fired a lot for what I do. I've actually said, and this is true because I've mapped it. I've lost more money doing the kind of comedy I want to do right. that I've made. Right. Significant mm-hmm. money. But So some people act... Anybody that's had like... Not anybody, but a lot of people that have had success in acting like you have sort mm-hmm. of begrudge commercial acting, but you wouldn't... You, you No. I, you know what I say? I don't miss the treatment of commercials, but I miss the money. There's right. a lot of money in commercials. A lot of money. Just standing around, acting like you're loving that Timbit. That's, you know, three to five grand. Yeah, yeah. And people don't realize. No, they don't. National commercials, tons of money. And you know what? There's all this Bill Hicks sucking the corporate whore cock. Mm-hmm. Ah! You know what? Until your rent is paid and until you're financially sound in this business, I don't begrudge anyone that does a commercial. I will if you're a millionaire and you're doing commercials. I right. think it's pathetic. Right. I think when Dennis Miller did those M&M commercials and all those other guys, right. they're at the top and they're making a shitload of money. Mm-hmm. And why? You don't have to. It's just so you can afford a little bigger house. Yeah, maybe I'll judge you there. Mm-hmm. But the guy you know, at the bottom of the pile, hoping to, you know, middle in Windsor for 75 bucks a show for three shows and you know, 225 bucks before their expenses, right. you take that corporate cock and you suck it good. Yeah. That's what I say. Well, I say, you know... There's your business background talking. Well, it's just smart, smart business. You know, it's it, are people going to come back and go, "You did that commercial, you're a whore." No, they're going to be like, "Fuck, I wish I did that commercial, man." Mm-hmm. Give me the five grand to eat that Timbit. I'll rim it. I don't yeah. care. <laughs> yeah. You said uh, every time you mention just for laughs, you have to take a pause. Sure. Is that is that the just for laughs part or the nasty show part, uh, and both. why? Both. Both. Why? Both. You know, I don't want to make enemies. Uh, I think they, everyone tries to do the job to their best of their ability. Mm-hmm. Um, and they book who they want to book. They just don't book me. And I am Canada's most controversial comedian, but I've only done the nasty show once. Do the math. Mm-hmm. It's not about new material. I have four DVDs. You know, two of them made the top 10 lists and multiple American top 10 DVD lists, but I can't get any love. Is it because I'm an asshole? Maybe. Is it because I call people on their bullshit? Yeah, well, when bullshit happens, mm-hmm. in 2005, I was edited on the Nasty Show. I think that's horseshit. You were edited? I was edited on the Nasty Show. What specifically? In what way? Three jokes. They asked me not to. They pulled me in a back alley, and they told me, don't do these three jokes. Wow. And it's a nasty show. It's not televised. Yeah. It's just a live show. Yeah, that's weird. And so it was just weird. And because I say that, and I haven't been back since, I mean, it'd be different if they went, look, we fucked up. You know, everybody fucks up because that's what they told me afterwards, which I understand. Everybody does fuck up. I fuck up. I go over the line. I say the wrong thing. I make people at certain shows cry. Everybody fucks up. But to not do it again since 2005, I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, even guys like Doug Stanhope who have, you know, or Jim Norton who has trashed the festival mm-hmm. for various reasons. Right, right. Have been back. Right. I never publicly spoke about the whole 2005 thing until about a year or two ago because I'm like, well, it's been a long time now. Yeah, they should have It's going to be 10 fucking years. Right. You know, last year I did um, a benefit for Joanna Downey as part of the festival in Toronto and uh, my show sold out. I mean, mm-hmm. I packed the room. Two of the four did not pack the room. 
did I get another showcase to maybe do the festival the next year as a thank you for doing that hard work? Of course not. Right. But guess what? That's the reality of show business. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done more stuff. I hate to be to play this card, but credit-wise, I've done a lot more than most Canadians. Mm-hmm. And I've produced a lot more material than a lot of Canadians. Yeah. But, you know, like I've always said, I'm not going to suck someone's cock to get something. I'm not above doing anything. I'll mm-hmm. do anything I can. Halifax, I did for the first time last year. I knocked it out of the park. I was polite. I was professional. Will I probably do it again? They'll probably never invite me back for whatever reason there is. Mm-hmm. But I killed, and I was professional. But sometimes that's not enough. Sometimes at these festivals, not just for last, but other festivals, uh, it's about the party. Do you want to go right. and party with people? Are you getting drunk? You high fiving in the basement, even though you only did six out of ten on the gala? Well, guess what? That person's going back. Right. I'm not. I didn't get in this to fuck waitresses or get drunk. I do my set. I go back in my room. I try to talk to my wife, and I try not to cry because I miss my children. <laughs> and if that means I'm not going to do something because I'm not willing to play that part of the game, then I have to suck it up and just, just say that's it. And that's the thing about you. I mean. Uh you know, you have all this this dark material and you're very edgy. And a lot of people would associate that with uh, drug and alcohol use, but you're completely clean. You don't drink. Straight edge. Straight edge. You don't drink. It's like, because I've been on the road with you and you do just go back to your room yes. after the after the show. I shake hands. I sign whatever people want me to sign. I take the photos mm-hmm. and then I'm literally like, maybe go for chicken wings, you know, to kill myself with food and uh, go back to my room. Do you think that has contributed to your success and your work ethic? Absolutely. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Because I'm myself nine months I quit everything, right. smoking weed, drinking everything. And honestly, if I hadn't, we wouldn't be having this talk in the studio right now. Like, right. It's amazing the difference. And uh, I look up to people like you that, that are able to, because we're surrounded by temptation all the time oh, in this yeah. fucking business. Oh, I mean, yeah. we're in bars uh, at various levels. You get paid with booze sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously not in your case anymore, but... Is, is you're just I still surround- go to those rooms. I just don't take the beer. Right. I don't even take the free pop. Any right. of those rooms, I say, I don't want anything for free. Right. Because then I'm just going to do the show I want to do. If you give me any kind of payment, then there's that idea that I have to give you something. No, That's no, no, right. no. Yeah, good I point. don't even take your free pop. I'll pay $3 for the pop, and if I want to scream horrible things for mm-hmm. five minutes, you know what I do. You're booking me, so be it. I admire that about you, man. That That's really uh, commendable. And... Uh, and just on top of that, a lot of comics, you know, in this game, you feel jealous of other comics getting things or not. Yeah. But I always say there's some people, and not as many as there used to be, but especially when I was coming up, they're like, you know, fuck Darren Frost. He's getting this. He's getting that. I'm like, hey, are you going back to your room and sending out a press release? Have you even ever done a press release in your entire right. career? 95% of all comics have never done their own press release. Mm-hmm. It's not rocket science. You just take someone else's press release and put your information in. I mean, even just doing that. Have you done that? No. Well, you know, when you get to town and we're co-featuring a show and the article's about me, why do you think that is? Right. Because at 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm not trying to bang a waitress. I'm in Halifax sending out a press release for Alberta. And in Alberta, they took that press release and they go, this is a story. Let's do an article about it. Right. And that's the only reason I am still able to do stand-up comedy in this country. It's not because the clubs back me. It's not because the festivals back me. It's because I back me and I work hard. Mm-hmm. And uh, I only say that not to go, oh, way to go, Darren. It's to tell young comics, you have to work hard. If you, you think to. the hustle is done the second you're a headliner, forget it. There's 50 other comics biting your heels who want to be that headliner. Yeah. And so far, I've been able to curtail that by doing my own kind of brand of comedy and working hard. But, you know, energy is a motherfucker, age is a motherfucker, and it takes a toll on you. So I can't do it as much with my kids and on other responsibilities. But I'm still in the game, and I'm still doing it. I mean, last week I did a show with Mike McDonald. I got him three interviews, two newspaper articles and a CBC interview. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't have happened unless I did it. Right. 
I think that's a lot of your business uh, of background that, yes. that comes into play. And you have a huge edge over people with that sort of knowledge. Do you think... So I'm going to guess your answer is yes to this because you're a good example of this. A lot of people leave Canada. They go to LA. They go to the UK. Yep. Do you think you can have a good career in Canada if you put in the work? I think you can have an okay middle class living. Mm -hmm. That's the highest you probably could strive for unless certain market things propel you forward like a Deborah Giovanni or whoever. But she's right. even left. She lives in Los Angeles now and just kind of comes back. I think that... Um, Ron James is the only one who's kind of stayed in this country, although he did go down to L.A. for a period of time, but he came back and the bulk of his life and work has now been in Canada. I think you can, but you have to wear many hats. Mm -hmm. Look, I can sit there and tell you, I've got four DVDs. The majority of my money comes from cartoons and acting. Uh, maybe one or a few years, there's been more than 50% of my money came from stand-up, and that was a lean year. Mm -hmm. Everything I do funds the money pool to feed my kids and make me able to do stand-up comedy. Right. So, uh... I wish I could do more commercials because then I could do more stand-up comedy. Right, you know, right, only yeah. for that factor to throw money in that hole to make sure I'm not eating hot dogs every day and I can do tours. The tours are not financially that successful anymore mm -hmm. and therefore you have to do merch and find other ways of filling the time. And you know, even the way of the comedy club is, is dying. It's more door deals and other things like that. Right. That's the future of stand-up comedy in this country. It's not the comedy clubs. It's comics going out either hooking up together and doing tours and working off the door and doing the marketing or waiting for the phone to ring. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to happen. Yeah, that seems... Uh, I spent some time in the States and um, that's the big difference I find between Canadian and American comics. Absolutely. Like Canadian comics sit and wait for opportunities to fall in their laps. Americans, they have the same business sense as you do, sort of. It's They see the the sort of template as a, as a working comedian. They get the merch. I mean, some people don't shouldn't have the merch and of shouldn't course, be working, period. But they are working because they've, you know, they've discovered the template. You get the business card, they get the merch, they do this, they network, they have the site you know they have the full package whereas in canada it's almost frowned upon to if you have a business card people make fun of you it's oh, yeah. weird it's like i remember if you had merch people made fun of you look right. at him look to be honest the only reason i have merch is because i'm not going to say his name because he's a friend of mine but a comic that i didn't think was that funny had merch and i'm like this is my ego talking my worst show right is better than his best show right and it's like and people kept asking me, why don't you have merch? Especially when you tour places like Alberta, because it was just such a norm. Mm -hmm. And at first, I really struggled with it. And then I started doing it. And I started seeing that this is another way for me to stay on the road. It's another in, uh, income stream. And it is something you just get used to. At first, you don't maybe don't like the idea of standing right. there and shaking hands and seeing people walk right. by. If they don't want to buy something, they, they feel awkward. Sure. But then you just get used to it. And then you realize the money that you've left on the table not doing it for all those right. years before leading and, up to And, you it. know, someone will come up and they'll be like, you know what, I have all three of your DVDs, I want to buy your fourth. So not only do they pay and come and see me at that comedy club, they've been before, they mm -hmm. have all my other DVDs, so it's like, obviously this is something they want. It's not like I'm forcing it on people, you know, so if, if I know they've bought another one before, they obviously like the product enough to buy it again, that's a good thing. You're a really good businessman right down to even the sale of your DVDs. You have a great way of selling it with you, where you choose someone in the audience. Sure. You, you call them fucky. Softens the blow, yeah. Fucky the whole thing, and then you give them a DVD at the end. And that do you find that helps selling the DVDs? It's not so much helps selling the DVDs. I think at the end, people don't go, he's not that much of a cunt. Right. Because he's hacked on this guy the whole show, and the guy got a free $20 DVD. Got it. And at the end, they see him smiling 
you know, eight times out of 10, the guy shakes my hand. So people leave on, you know, after 45 minutes to an hour of me screaming, it can be a bit much. I understand that. So it's almost like the kind of hug at the end of like, hey, we're all in this together. Wah, wah, mm-hmm. wah, 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 after school special, whatever. And that helps. Right. That helps people leaving. So even if they didn't like me that much, they realize I'm not that much of a cunt. Even with softening the blow and uh, showing people that you're not that much of a cunt, that has backfired in the past. You've oh, been yeah. fully assaulted on stage. Yes, yeah. Share those stories with us a little bit. Well, I mean, I've had death threats. I've been jumped a few times. I've been like actually jumped after yeah, a show. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. shit. Yeah. Like by one guy or yeah, like one a bunch guy. Of, no one way. Guy, yeah. What? Tell us actually. A little bit. Well, one guy jumped me, and my backup on the show was Gord Painter and another comic. Gord was blind. That's mm-hmm. my backup. <laughs> the other time I had uh, a death threats, and Carrie Talmadge was my backup. If you don't know Carrie Talmadge, she's like you know two foot four and like got fucking kidney problems. So yeah. that was my backup on that show. I always uh, now I don't. I look at the the list of comics so I can work with. And I always book very strong, right. you know, big dudes. Okay, that guy can work with. I know he's a hack, but fuck it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I've been attacked. People look. What happens is people get drunk mm-hmm. and they hear trigger words. Mm-hmm. This is not new, and they just don't think there can be anything funny about those topics, whether it's cancer, religion, abortion, whatever. And uh, they get they get upset, and then it gets to a word fight. They're going to lose. They're going to look embarrassed. They're yeah. never going to win with me. Right. Uh, they're not going to win as most comics. I mean, we're ready for it. And then they get this chest pumping monkey kind of stance where they're and I'm not going to take it so I'm going to show you who the winner is and they either attack me or throw something at me or whatever you're right it is trigger words because there's a great video of you online where you talk about you've had cancer sure. uh, skin cancer yeah and you talk about it and the person doesn't even the person that engages with you right. doesn't hear anything else but cancer right. and right away thinks you're making fun of it right and so there's a great exchange and like you said he doesn't win right uh, by any stretch I swear way too much in that video it's kind of embarrassing but yeah in the moment I was really pissed because I couldn't believe that he was he, the, the, the idea was he didn't believe I had cancer mm-hmm. he thought I was just right. saying it to be funny right, right. and I'm like so then I took you know I pulled up my shirt I showed him the scar and I told him the whole story of getting cancer and it, there's no laughs mm-hmm. it's very awkward mm-hmm. and people have even called me that you're not funny it's not, this video's not supposed to be funny right. this video is supposed to show you that if you say shit in a comedy show you're gonna get the real deal mm-hmm. and sometimes the real deal ain't that funny and there's a reason why we don't talk about the real deal and you're obviously fully cancer free. That was it was so far. Yeah, so far it was on your arm. Yes, in melanoma. Arm, arm on my chest, and one on my arm on one on my arm, one on my chest. Melanoma. Well, there is this is very debatable. It's very weird. I had two forms of cancer, two different forms of skin cancer on my body, mm-hmm. which they said they'd never seen before. That's why there's a lot of confusion because the skin is all one organ. Right, right. right. You shouldn't have two kinds it should just be the same you know mm-hmm. what i mean so uh, for the uh, sake of an argument it was just uh it was a squamish or whatever it's squeamish squeamish um but they thought it was two they thought it was melanoma and that at one time it must have been a scary time for yeah, you yeah yeah i mean the the, the 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 two stories are tied together because the one my one of my more famous videos is a guy throws a glass at my I chest i was gonna get to that after but let's, let's and go what right happened was that was the saturday night and the monday morning i was in the doctor's office getting the result back from they biopsied my arm and it's like literally less than 48 hours afterwards I've got a big bruise on my stomach I, I'm in pain and I sit down and the doctor goes well I have to tell you you know you have uh, you have cancer and I just started laughing and he's like oh, you know this is kind of weird you know when I normally tell someone they have cancer and they don't laugh I said yeah but you weren't there on Saturday night you don't know what I'm going through you know right. like the typical comic just can't believe the you know the luck <laughs> and uh, you know I'm I'm cancer free I had to have an operation and and I went through nothing compared to other people right to be honest that's why I don't like talking about it I right. don't talk about it on stage very much mm-hmm. because I didn't have that the radiation the hair loss right. the, this this and this it was a surgery it was painful for a month or two months that's it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like it's not on the, the the scale of what most people go through. Right, right. So it's not that I don't say I have cancer. I just don't like to really talk about it because, you know, when people go, oh, yeah, so what? You know, you didn't have the... No, I didn't, you know, and that's why I don't really talk about it much on stage. In fact, I used to do a lot of cancer material before I had cancer, and then I dropped it all once I had cancer. Is that right? Because I didn't ever want to be that guy who's like, you can't do cancer material. Well, I have cancer. It's okay. Right. You know, I don't think you should have to have a disease to be able to do jokes about it. Right. Okay, so it's not coming from like, uh, you know, it's not funny because it happened to you. It's no. the complete opposite, right. actually. Yeah, I and drop it. It's like, you know what, if it's, it just, I didn't really have the heart to sell the material anymore, even though I had cancer, but it was also part of that. It's like, now I have it. I don't want to have to ever use that. Look, mm-hmm. I've got cancer, you know, it feels sad for me. Let's quickly talk about the glass that was thrown t- into your chest. That was in Barrie, was it? No, that was the, all my trouble. Mm-hmm. Is always in London, Ontario. Oh, that was also in London. London, Ontario. At the old club. Though, yes, right? yes. Right. So talk about that a little bit. You do a, a bit. It was an X-rated show. There's a warning on the door. It says no refunds. You will be offended. There's multiple signs like that as you walk up inside the venue. So everybody knew what it was. I was at minute 35. I'd already done jokes about AIDS and other catastrophes, the Winnipeg bus beheading, all kinds of horrible, horrible stories. So the setup to that point was like anything goes. Mm-hmm. We've already made fun of way worse things. And then I do a part in my act where I say, uh, look, as an audience, you don't determine what I do. I determine what I do. Mm-hmm. I'm not a dancing monkey up here. And I go, ooh, 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 ooh. I'm not a monkey. So just shut your mouth and just sit back and enjoy. So I do a joke. It gets an okay laugh. And then the guy in the audience goes, do the monkey again. Do the monkey again. So not even understanding the preamble up to me doing the monkey of saying you don't control <laughs> okay. the show. So I literally turned to him. I said, look, this isn't a choose your, own, a choose your own adventure story where I turn to page 95 and I fuck your mother. Yeah, it's the old fuck your mother joke. And not proud of it, but that was a little, just a little ha-ha. I thought we'd move on because, you know, it's referencing back to, you know, just does yeah. And he just picks up a glass and he whips it at me and he hits me full force and I kind of go down and uh, we have a little bit of interaction. It turns out that his mother had died and like I knew. And uh, then they just walked out of the place like they owned the place. No police were called. The staff didn't do anything. And um, to this day, that comedy club owner, motherfucker, we'll call her, still thinks it's okay that I was assaulted in the club because of what I said to him. I, I know the owner that you're talking about. She no sure. longer owns the club. She's That's right. She's out of the business. Yes. Um, she still thinks. Still to this day. To this day, you can be her friend, but she still thinks that it's okay that a comedian was assaulted based on the words they used on her stage. Yeah, that's fucked up. On an X-rated show where everybody was warned of what the material was. Really? I fucked your mother joke? I mean, that's great too. Yeah. I'm not even proud. That's the joke I had to say at that moment. Right. But that's how fucked up our business was. Do you still have a video of that online? Oh, yeah. Okay, I'll throw I'll throw both of those up on sure. uh, the JD Comedy Hour um, Facebook group. If you go on there, you can see Darren in his early days doing stand-up and then the glass incident in London. So, um, all right. Let me uh, go back a little bit to we were talking about getting fired and losing gigs and leaving money on the table. Let's talk about your XM gig because that was a popular show you had, a sure. week, weekly series yep. called uh, Anything Goes. Yes. You were a co-host. Co-host um, with another comedian. With yep. another comedian. What happened there? Why is that not a thing anymore? Uh, two major reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, no one has the same work ethic as you do. Mm-hmm. And when that starts clashing then that's a problem. So if, for example, if me and you were doing a show together and I felt I was doing all the work or you kept fucking up and it was affecting my life, uh, that's fine if you're getting paid. Right. Because that's part of the cock you have to suck to get money and, you know, there's there's problems. 
We were not getting paid. Oh, you weren't getting paid. We were not getting paid. Oh, no way. That's exactly. Crazy. Yes. So what happened was our deal with them was we got to do whatever we wanted, but we didn't get paid. It was more kind of an awareness thing. And we like doing right. the show. So what happened really was me and the co-host bumped heads too many times. I felt there were certain things that he wasn't doing. And when there's no money attached, and, you know, I've, I've got three kids. So every single day of my life, the only reason I'm here is because my kids are in school. If this mm -hmm. was a nighttime thing, it would be I would be, okay, maybe in a month and a half we could do it. Right. So every night of my life is very important because mm -hmm. I have to leave my wife with the three kids and... You know, I, I, my kids have had serious health problems and issues, and it's not easy for me just to go away. And I don't think that other comic took that serious. And when there's no money attached to it, how do I keep telling my wife? I'm like, I hate this. I'm not happy. And right. she's like, and you're leaving me alone with these three kids. And uh, you're not making any money. And I'm making any money. Like, she's never said don't do anything, but she's like, come, like, come on. Where is the win here? Mm -hmm. Like, you either love doing it, and you guys have a lot of fun, or you make money. Because you don't like it, mm -hmm. which then helps pay the bills. And neither were true. And, you know, it was just a matter of we're done. There was a bit of a blow up at the end because the, the comic did something. And, uh, you know, I still, you know, I still talk to the comedian. I don't want to say his name. I don't want to throw him under the bus. The people Fair know enough. the show, know who it is. Yeah. Uh, I still think he's one of the funniest guys I've ever met. Mm -hmm. um, but I just can't be around it. Right. You know, and... There's other things I don't want to get into that were on a more personal level. And uh, just when, when shit happens, it's like falling down a rabbit hole. You can never come back up. You just keep falling down. And so, you know, it was just going that way. So I just said, let's kill it. Let's, we're done. And let's save our own skins before we say something stupid, either XM or... Because I still get played a lot on XM. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the sound exchange money yeah, is, yeah. is really good. Yeah. So I don't want to, you know, fuck that up. But, you know, the reality is we weren't getting paid. And do I think we should have got paid? Yeah, I think we should. Of course, paid. yeah. Our show was popular. Our show is still the only show that was nominated two years in a row for Canadian Comedy Award, mm -hmm. which isn't a barometer or anything, but it's more than they had. They never had a show ever nominated before. Right. Um, so, I mean, we're never going to beat the CBC machine because that always wins. Mm -hmm. uh, this year, finally, it didn't win. Uh, Stop podcasting yourself. Graham Clark's show out of right. Vancouver won, yeah. which was great. But you know what? Even the CBC show, this and that, is an hysterical show. Mm -hmm. I listen to it, and I'm like, yeah, this should beat me, you know? Yeah, yeah. I have no problem with that. Right. I got no problem when someone beats me as long as I'm up for it. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, we're all... It's like an audition. People go, were you pissed off? If I get the audition, I'm not pissed off. Obviously, someone else did it better than me. Right. It's like a festival. Yeah. Well, why are you so angry? I haven't done that fest. I haven't even been seen. I've been 22 years right. in this country doing a form of show, and they have a show called The Nasty or Dirty or whatever they want to call it, and I haven't been seen. Right. There's something wrong there. Yeah, But yeah. if they seen me and they go, no, I just gotta, oh, so be it. Mm-hmm. Talking about the Canadian Comedy Awards, you were there this year. I was. You've, you've been nominated a few times. So I was nominated twice for the radio show, and then I was nominated twice this year. Once for Best Performance, taped, which is both my DVD, mm -hmm. and for Best Comedian of the Year, male. I would have thought, based on your personality and your act, you you wouldn't have been into something like the Canadian Comedy Awards. Is this your business sense coming into play again, trying well, to well, sort of... Well, you know what? I kind of said to myself, this is probably going to be the last DVD I do. Mm-hmm. Because uh, it's just the energy that it takes to do it. I might release CDs or whatever because it's a lot easier to pull off right. a CD than it is a DVD. So I said, you know what? Let me look at it, see if I can at least just submit it for this because it's the end of my four DVDs. Mm -hmm. So there was a category I could submit. So I submitted it. 
Everyone kept telling me, it's a great party. It's a lot of fun. You got to do it. No, you don't never, even party. I never do that kind of thing. Right. So I'm like, well, you know what? If I can maybe have some fun with a few comics. Well, you haven't done that in 22 years, Darren. Why don't you try it? And I went and it wasn't that fun. Right. It was pretty, it was exactly what I thought it was going to be, but at least I did it once now. So mm-hmm. I submitted. I didn't win either category. Uh, do I think I deserve to win either of those categories? I think I deserve to win the one. I think I deserve, to be honest, I, lo- I like Darren Rose. Darren Rose is a very funny comedian, nice yeah. guy. But that was a just for laughs. That's a machine. Right. So there was only three people in the category, me and two just for laughs products. Mm-hmm. I'm the only one who did this. I did everything on this DVD. I put the whole fucking thing together. I didn't have like three or five a group of people, you know, making it and editing it and all this. I had to do everything. Right, right. You know, I had to hire the editor. I had to hire this. I had to do this. I had a, a co-director, Michael Corbier, who helped me out a lot and got some shooters. But the artwork and all this stuff, I helped to do everything. I was involved in every single part of it, and I was proud of it. So I said, this is the only way in this country to be seen in anything. Right. That's what's sad. That's what's sad. This DVD got four ends out of five and a now. Normally, I don't like that shit. I don't give a fuck, but it's mm-hmm. my fourth DVD in obscurity. Right. How do you think you get to get it out of there? Like, get it out. What do you think Who knows? needs to be done? Yeah. Someone's got to be like Russell Peters and put it online, and everyone's got to love it. Right. But I'm not as crowd friendly as Russell, and it's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know? I put all my other DVDs online. They're all on my YouTube page. The only mm-hmm. one that isn't is my new one. So people don't have to even buy my old one if they want to just watch YouTube clips. I just put it out there for free. Right. It's material I don't even do anymore. Right. Have it. I don't give a fuck. And that, do you find that forces you to write new material when Absolutely. you sort of, because you burn it sort of in Absolutely. a way uh, when you put out a DVD. I yeah. mean, you can't tour after and, and do all that same material. It's out there. Yeah. And I'm playing the same venues. It's not like I'm, you know, in America with all those states and I can just, you know, I don't have to play that state this time. Right. Guess what? I'm going to have to play Kitchener again. And Kitchener is a great town for comedy, but I'm just using that as an example. It's like every year I'm going to play Kitchener twice. Mm-hmm. Unless I find some new territory I've never mined in this country. I'm playing those same venues. And when you play the same venues, that means you're going to have the same audiences. Mm -hmm. And I do have a lot of repeat customers because they like it. So I do have to have new material. And I feel guilty. Like, I haven't written, I've, like, I'm even thinking about quitting stand-up comedy in the last six months because I haven't written that much. My heart's not in it anymore. Have I jumped the shark and all this? Maybe. Uh, You know, I'm 43. I'm not young. Blah, blah, blah. So even I feel now going on stage, it's like this is a bit of a, you know, you know, this is a bit of a shell game. Hopefully there's not many people here who see me before because I'm going to have to pull this story from my first DVD to make it look like a new story. <laughs> right. You know, and people will come up to me and go, oh, you know, that story was great, that new story. And I'm like, well, it wasn't really a new story. It was right. from 1993, but I'm glad you, <laughs> glad you liked it. Well, that happens. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's ebbs and flows of everything. Of course, of course. You know, cry, yeah. clown, cry. <laughs> I wish, I, I'm sure everyone wishes they had those problems, but, you know, that is a problem. Right. So your message to new comedians, work hard. Sure. Uh, be yourself. I think work hard, be yourself, and never say anything about anyone that you wouldn't say to their face. That's right. always my big piece of advice. Mm-hmm. I've never said anything to anyone that I wouldn't say to their face. Mm-hmm. So when it gets back to them and they come up to me, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I said that. Yeah. Own it. Like, is it not true? Like, I've had a comedian call me up and say, look, you said this about me. I said, well, listen, Mark. Um, this is what happened. We were here. I said this to your face, and they're like, oh, right, yeah, you did kind of. I said, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm telling this story because that's, is, is that not true? Right. Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. You did fuck me that time, right, Mark? Yeah, yeah, I did. So, you know, I got to tell that story, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. Yeah, you're just making people accountable for, for yeah. Um, okay, so be yourself. 
And, and what about okay? You've said in your in your bio it says you've quit comedy seven times. Mm-hmm. Literally, I have yeah. quit. Yes, yes, I have. Yeah, more in the beginning of the career. I think you quit a lot in the beginning of your career, mm-hmm. and then you kind of you're stuck in a hole, and it's like it's a lot harder of a decision to say like I'm not going to do stand up comedy anymore, right? Because you're either addicted to it or you know it's the way you paid your rent, and where are you going to go? What job are you possibly going to get in the real world? You know, it's these are real questions. Then the documentary, I Am Comic, I, I found it interesting, but the part that I found the most interesting is when they talked to all those comics that were 40 and over on on why they quit. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, it's why you quit. How can you give up this addiction right. without going to some... There's no fucking NA for comedians. Hi, my name's Darren. I'm a comedian. I'm addicted to it. You know, yeah. most comics are. They're addicted to that rush. There's no way of getting out of that without doing it yourself it definitely is an addiction it's crazy yeah i mean and you stay away from it for a little bit a couple of weeks and you you feel almost depressed and you don't know why and then you do a set and you're like oh because you've you've used that as the validation for your whole life right luckily i don't you know i only use it for 50 percent. i have a family i have right. kids i have a wife I, my other piece of advice for anyone in show business even though you're here is don't date inside the business mm-hmm. i think it's a major mistake mm-hmm. i really do no disrespect, but I just think it's a major, major mistake. In what way? In that your whole life can become about comedy. Right. Yeah, and I, there's c- I no can no escapism. See that. So when something sucks and uh, you want to just get away from it, like if I bomb, which I still do, I just tell my wife, yeah, I went okay. Right. And there's no more. Right. It's done. Or I look at comedians that I look up to and, and dissect it. They're usually normal Right. Balanced people. Right. With families. Yes. Like yourself, you don't drink. You know, right. that... Those are the most success. I mean, not not always, but but the comedians Life I like. Success is different than monetary success. Exactly. Right. Right. And I think you kind of need that. There's, you know, there's. A, they say that uh, all comedians are fucked up. I don't like that. That's a preconceived notion. I mean, yeah, sure, maybe there's something. It's in definitely there, a fucked up lifestyle. It's a fucked up lifestyle, but. But it's not a normal lifestyle because of the hours of and the, the highs and lows. Right. And, and the reason, like, you know, never try, I mean, you don't have to go through this, but my wife had to in the beginning, try explaining to her why the business works the way it does. Right. She's like, but that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. now step away. Yeah, yeah. You know, nothing is ever going to make sense for the rest of your life when I talk about the business in this. Right, so, right. But why is that person? You're funnier than that. Step away. You know, it's just, there, there's reasons things happen and you have to just say it's a fucked up business mm-hmm. and a fucked up lifestyle and uh luckily i was a comedian before i met her it's not one of those things where i all of a sudden became a comedian they're the ones i feel sorry for right the ones who got married high school sweetheart and then you know at 25 said i want to start doing comedy and then they started doing comedy and now they're a comedian right. and you know she never signed up for that or he never signed up for that he was like i thought we were just gonna be you know going this way that's a tougher sell mm-hmm. i just think you have to have a life and if, if in your situation it sounds like an anomaly that it can work but you have to really work on having a life outside of comedy most don't right. most get very acidic and bitter and most it breaks up and Mm -hmm. then it's like you shit where you eat right and then lines are divided she's my friend not your friend right and i'm telling stories about how much of a motherfucker that guy is and that guy gets a bad rep like a lot of that shit happens and um I, I I've had friends, comedian male friends, that have been kind of blacklisted or whatever you want to call it. And my attitude is, even if they cheated or or, or fucked a you know a three cheerleaders on, on their wife or or she fucked three dudes on her husband, I don't care. Mm-hmm. It's none of my business. You know, it, uh, you stole a joke. Hey, that's my fucking business. And even right. that's not my business anymore. Right. But it's weird. But I don't care. 
I, it's not my business. It's like, I don't live in that house. I don't know how you guys, you know, that person could be a motherfucker behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone thinks I'm an amazing dad because I post pictures of my kids on Facebook. Really? I'm not an amazing dad. I'm a pretty good dad. Right. Honestly. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty self-aware. I have my issues. I have my problems. But everyone just automatically thinks, you're an amazing dad. Oh, you are, you run home to your kids instead of fuck waitresses. Really? That shouldn't be a measurement <laughs> right. of a good dad or a good, you know, right. a good spouse. Oh, you don't do those things nobody should do? You're amazing. You're a good dude. You're amazing. It's like the Chris Rock bit of uh, where they always want credit for things you're supposed right. to do. Like, right. I keep my ass out of jail. You're supposed to. Yeah, stay exactly. Out of jail. You know, and but I, I, take I get care that of my kids. all the time. Right. Like people, like audience members, you're such a great dad. You heard my act. I say horrible things about my children. If you right. didn't know me, you wouldn't think I'm that good of a dad. Right. You'd be like, you shouldn't really be saying this on stage. Right. These are your kids. You touched on something quickly just there. You said if you steal a joke, that is my business. You're you're a little bit of uh, I don't, you said maybe not so much anymore, no. but the comedy uh, police. The comedy police. I used to be. Yeah. Used to call out people yeah, all the time, yeah, I did, right? Yeah. And is it does that come from a place of passion? You're just so Absolutely. passionate about the art form and, and craft. Absolutely. And I don't. I ne- I wouldn't run up to them. And go, you're a thief, unless they had already known to be a thief. Then it was like game on. But I'd go up to them. Hey, you know that's not that. That's, you know that joke is very similar to this. And then see how they react. And if they were like, oh, I didn't know, and they stopped doing it, fine. You know that's mm-hmm. you know parallel thinking or or whatever. But then there were times where it's like, no, they're like, fuck you. And I'm like, no, no, fuck me, fuck you. Right. You know, it's like I know how hard it is to write a joke. I know how hard it is, especially a lot of times the people that steal the jokes, they always steal from great writers who I know. It took a long time to write that joke. Right. It wasn't like someone like, you know, like I don't want to say me because I'm prolific in the amount that I do. Right. But, you know, to steal a joke from Stuart Francis. Right. Who right, I know right. takes, I'm using this as an example, who's a one-liner comedian and it, every word is important to him. He probably worked six months on the wording of that joke mm-hmm. to get it right. Mm-hmm. Me, some of my jokes I write in three days, I put it on a DVD and I'm done. And so if they steal from me, it's only three days of my life. But for that person... That's, you know, that could have been six months. It could have been a year. Who knows how long it could have been. Right. And just to take the easy way out, you know, it's like, once again, do you want to work hard or not? It's funny. It's almost easier to steal a joke that's been so well crafted than it is maybe if you're writing more frequently. Because if you're more prolific, you tend to write personal experience stuff. Right. So the material is tattooed to yourself. I mean, that's your shit. No one can steal that. Right, right. But a joke like Stuart Francis, for example, crafts something for six months, you can just take that. Yes. But yeah, but that's the world we live in. Right. And you know, uh, do you think the business cares? They don't care. Mm-hmm. They could care less. Could care less. They, they just could want care re- less. Yeah, whatever kills. You know, and and to say that they do, I think I think when they say it, and that person may, but you can't stop the machine. Mm-hmm. There could be one great person. I keep using this just for last example, but it's such a big machine. You know, Zoe's a great person. She's mm-hmm. really nice, and she does care about comedy. And I think if she's someone stealing something, she would probably be like, I'm not going to book that person because I know that's stolen. Right. But she's not the only one who makes decisions. There, right. And, and and things happen, and a bunch of people. And like I remember at JFL, uh, the press there, they just trashed me, which I'm fine with, you know. Uh, but... Um, the next year, they loved the joke that Jazzman do, who I'm not a fan of, and they praised it as a joke, as like one of the jokes of the fest that night. And the joke was pretty much paraphrasing that this year border guards in Canada finally got guns. Next year, they're going to get bullets. I mean, that joke is like 40, 50 years old. Yeah, that's an old, old joke. And I'm like, and that's quoted as one of the jokes of the night. I mean, that tells me that night wasn't that good. Right. That's a bad joke, mm-hmm. but. You know, I went up with original jokes and they trashed me or whatever. He screams too much, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's mm. fine. I scream too much. Yeah, okay, whatever. But, you know, that's 
That's how it is. They don't, there's no there's no comedy police anymore because after that whole Joe Rogan thing, I think people got a little weirded by it right, and right. punchy about it. And there was a big division. There's a lot of people. It's like, well, what do you care, Joe? It's not your business, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? He had enough fucking money that he could be that guy. It's seen as bullying even though he, it has, is a, seen as bullying. He, even though he has a point to do it. You know. But you know what? There's bullies who bully the bullies. Is that right. still bullying? Right. I don't know. Right? That's There's a lot of guys that do that mm-hmm. and girls. So, I mean... No one's perfect. I think everyone's trying to do it for their own right reason, and just more. Some reasons are are better than others. Couldn't agree more. Amen, brother. Amen. Thanks a lot for doing this. Uh, before we go, anything you want to plug? No. No. <laughs> Darrenfrost.com. Yeah, sure. Com- <laughs> right. It's comedyhorror.com. It's an easier way to remember it. Yeah. Comedyhorror.com. I will put up uh, two videos: one of your early days, and one of the uh, glass throwing incident. Sure. If you go to Facebook.com/slash JD Comedy Hour, Darren Frost. Thanks, man. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, You're man. a Appreciate really good it. guest, man. And uh, watch your head. Yeah. And there we have it. Episode number nine in the books. Thanks to my guest. The entertaining Darren Frost. Be sure to check out Facebook.com slash JD Comedy Hour. I've ended up putting up three clips. The chest of the glass incident, early incarnation Darren, which is fucking hysterical. I can't believe that's the same person. Wacky zany Darren. And I threw up the uh, cancer heckle since we talked about it. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at JD Comedy Hour. And email the show. I'll read your emails. Pod, P-O-D, at jdcomedyhour.com. Thanks to my producer, Adam Fox. Adam Foxy Cleopatra Fox. Miles Lacroix, my sound engineer. Thanks to Garage Baby, as always. Speaking of which, uh, next Wednesday, if you're in town, if you're in Toronto, if you find yourself in this neck of the woods... Come to the Julian Dion Comedy Hour live show. Say what? 67 Front Street East at church in the St. Lawrence area downtown. Got Garage Baby there, of course. Got a stacked lineup with Scott Falconbridge, Rebecca Kohler, and Dylan Gott. My friend Adam David doing a guest spot. It's it's a good night out. 9 p.m. Come check it out. Next episode, episode 10, coming at you on Tuesday. Mom, I love you. And thanks again for listening, everybody. I appreciate it. You are just the best, and watch your head. A beautiful waste of time. It's just a waste of time. Walling eyes and itching feet. I'm just a
as a whole. Right, right. You know, it's up for that. everyone else to make that uh, conclusion. <laughs> right, right. If they think so. Right. I mean, I don't think he's an asshole. I just, right. we'll get into it. Yeah. Okay. What, uh, what's your fourth DVD called, you said? Uh, emotional Terrorism. Oh. Well, I'm missing one. Which was yeah, oh. The Better Left Unsaid. Oh, so dead, it goes like this. Oh, no, Dead Inside. Dead it's inside. the third one, right? So it goes like that. Missing one, that one, and then that one. Kind of thing. Okay. Check our levels here. <coughs> Sound pretty loud. So, but I still think I'll be like this. Sure. Yeah, that's good. It's good for me. Check, check. Check, check. one. Check, Is it check. too loud in your cans or anything nope. like that? No. Nope. Sounds good. Yep. All right. So the way it works, I don't know if you had the chance to listen to Yeah, I listened to, to one of them, yeah. yeah. Which yeah. one did you listen to? To the Jen Grant one. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. fuck. If you had to listen to that one, I had, um, I have to fix it, which is what I was working on before the segment between, like, message to my mom and the intro. There's a two-second pause. It just cuts. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. fuck, I listened yeah, to I it. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. I left the studio last night, and then uh, I was listening to it on the way home just to go through, like, technical things like right. that. And I'm like, fuck. I don't know why I didn't pick up the fade. I don't know how it how that happened but um so i have to fix it and re-upload a, a fresh version okay with a fade in because that drives me nuts like like when it's just